Hey, it's Scott Petrick with another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. The first seven days of training camp have been eventful without anything to do with what's happening on the field. Deshaun Watson was suspended for six games Monday, but the NFL appealed the ruling Wednesday, so he, the Browns, and their fans are back in a holding pattern. Here to discuss it all with me is Dave Chodowski of Go, the WKYC Morning News. What's up, Chud? Scott, here we are. I think we kind of thought we would be in a spot like this, you know, and I keep saying, I've said this to like three or four people this week, and they either laugh or they say, man, that's spot on. But the Browns just can't get out of their own way. Yeah, yeah, you know, they, they really, the Haslam's brought this on themselves, right? And I'm blaming the Haslam's, maybe Andrew Barry, maybe Paul DePodesta, maybe Kevin Stefanski um, play a part in this. Um, it's always felt like an ownership-driven thing to me, and it's certainly ownership-approved, right? They're the ones who said, yes, let's pay the $230 million guaranteed to Deshaun Watson. Um, and who knows, right? I mean, maybe at some point Deshaun Watson wins a Super Bowl and the Browns will at least think it's worth it. But we are now almost five months into this since the trade in, on March 18th, and it's been nothing but a headache uh, for the Browns, and it doesn't look like that's going to end anytime soon. Do you think that they knew this was coming? Do you, or do you think that they felt pretty comfortable when they, you know, signed him, that they got him, they made the trade for him, I'm sorry. Do, right. you, do you feel that they thought, you know what, we think it's going to be six to eight games and that's where we kind of lie? Or, or do you think, what, like, were they ever sitting there going, hey, what if it is a year or more? Like, what do we do then? Do, do you think that was ever a plan? That's a great question. Um, I know that they did not expect a long suspension. They were confident that it would be, I think, six games at the high end is what the expectation is when they made the trade. Um, and then we've talked about it, right? Then more cases happen. New York Times reports happen. HBO Real Sports happens. And the growing sentiment is, okay, this suspension could get longer. Um, now, I don't know when the Browns started thinking that it could be longer. You know what I mean? I don't know if on March 17th, before they make the trade, um, March 18th, when they do make the trade, you would think that in the back of their head was the reality of, yes, this could be a whole year. But I know that they were not planning for it to be a whole year. Um, but, you know, when Andrew Barry, he talked about getting that fifth year on the contract, on the fully guaranteed contract, and part of that was because with the – expectation that Deshaun Watson was going to miss at least part of this season. So, you know, I I don't know how much time they spent in thinking, oh, we'll be okay or we can live with a four-year suspension. But I certainly know that they did not expect it to be a long-term thing this year. And, you know, Monday, when Suho Robinson gets uh, six games, I for a while I'm thinking, hey, maybe they were right. They actually read the situation correctly. But now with the NFL having appealed and the NFL still seeking an indefinite suspension of at least a year and Roger Goodell installing, you know, appointing um, Peter C. Harvey, it, it certainly looks like it's going to be much longer than six games and possibly the indefinite suspension because it's Roger Goodell's appointee. Um, he's worked with the league before. Um, it certainly feels like if Roger Goodell 
in the league wants that indefinite suspension of at least a year, Peter C. Harvey is a guy that's going to give it to him. Now, I don't, you know, I don't want to be presumptuous and he's going to look at the facts of the case and all that, but um, it, it feels like it's going to be way longer than the six games that Browns bargained for and the six games that Sue Robinson ruled on Monday. Now, so on Monday, Monday morning, after the show, we went off the air. We we get off the air at 7 a.m. I had stuck around, and I had to stay uh, long that morning. And we broke we broke into programming once the announcement came down. So uh, I was live on the air with that. And afterwards, you know, I was sitting there thinking, man, it, just like you just said, I'm like, it, this. I, I think this is going to stick. I mean, I, maybe they won't appeal, or if they do appeal, I don't know. But then once you read what she wrote, that came later in the day, right? Isn't that yeah. kind of where maybe things turn? Because I felt like, and it's just listening to people and talking with people, what she wrote kind of meant more than the actual amount of games. Does that make sense? Because it felt like what she wrote deserved more than six games. But because of the precedent and the way the NFL rules are set up, right, she couldn't go more than six as she felt as a judge could do. Correct. I think, yeah, I think you're 100% right, Chud, is when you read the ruling, and I encourage people to do it, it's all over the place. It's all, we have a link on bronzo.com. Um, if you read the ruling, you know, first of all, she finds Deshaun Watson, I don't know, I, you know, I don't want to screw up the legal term. It's not guilty, but whatever, culpable um, of all the things that the NFL charged. Um, the NFL's definition of sexual assault, endangering the well-being of someone, and um, making the NFL look bad. Obviously, that's not the <laughs> that's not the jargon, but that's the gist right. of it. Violating the and, that, and that he wasn't remorseful or something, Correct. right? Or right. didn't right? And that's all you know. Violating the NFL, the personal conduct policy, and then part of it was she also said that one of the aggravating factors was that he wasn't remorseful, he didn't report the first incident, and she didn't think he was honest with the NFL investigators, right? She thinks he's lying. Um, so when you read that, you say, okay, then why is it only six games? And she explains it by saying the NFL's policy is not really explicit. And the precedent, which judges tend to follow, some judges tend to follow, um, the longest suspension for a nonviolent, and that's in quotation or air quotes, in, or not air quotes, in, in quotation marks, um, is three games. And she felt this was so egregious, and she talked about his predatory um, actions, that then she doubled it to six games. And she felt like if the NFL had been better at laying out punishments then she could have handed down a longer suspension so that's where the appeal comes in when the nfl says well we agree with you it should be longer and we're going to make it longer right they're kind of writing the rules after the fact which she takes issue with but the nfl has the right to do that given the collective bargaining agreement that gives roger goodell and his appointee his designee to hear the appeal and they have the hammer that person has the hammer and um so that's where we are. But yeah, the, if if you read the ruling, it's really critical of Deshaun Watson. And it reminded me of when I read all the depositions, right? All these really unsavory is one word, disturbing um, 
accusations against him. And, you know, she found him, for lack of a better word, responsible for all the, for these violations. And once you do that, then it opens the door for the NFL to make the suspension longer on the appeal. I think you answered some of it already, but for people listening, I've heard this question multiple times this week. Simply people asking, well, why was Sue L. Robinson involved? Yeah. Why did they have her in this at all? If the NFL and her decision isn't going to be the final decision. Why, why waste your time? Why have that happen? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good question. I'm glad you brought it up because when you talked about how Monday for a while it felt like it would be six games and stick at six games, part of that reasoning, in my mind at least, was that the NFL, Roger Goodell and the league office, would not want to challenge Sue Robinson's first decision in this role, right? In 2020, new CBA comes out. The NFLPA bargains for the addition of an independent disciplinary officer. And that was Sue L. Robinson, jointly appointed by the NFL and the NFL Players Association. So this is her first case. There's not been another case in the previous two years until Deshaun Watson. So her first case, there was a feeling that the NFL would not want to undercut her authority. But they changed their the, – the league decided not to follow that. They decided to go ahead and undercut it and overrule it. And they have that right because in the CBA is the first layer is the independent disciplinary officer. The second layer is the appeal to Roger Goodell or his appointee. And that's something the NFL thought was important to keep in the CBA. And the union obviously felt it wasn't important enough to not include that in the in the CBA, right? And there's a million things that get negotiated, right? This is the same CBA where 17 games entered for the first time. And we've seen uh, a change in how the offseason program is handled and how much time players have to report and what, pre what training camp looks like, right? There's a million things in a CBA. The percentage of the salary, the percentage of revenue that the players get, right? So there's a lot of big things, and I'm not saying this isn't a big thing, but it's not as, I would say, important as the 17 games or the share of the revenue. So they reached a compromise, and the compromise was we add a layer of independent, you know, independent arbitrator, but the NFL still has final say on appeal. Now, if... Sue Robinson had ruled eight games. I think the NFL probably would have accepted that. But not only did she only go six games, which the NFL felt was lenient in a third of what, at least a third of what they were asking, because they were asking for indefinite. Um, she also did not find Deshaun Watson above the $345,000 in salary he would miss. And it's only $345,000 because... $45 million of the $46 million contract this year is a bonus, signing bonus. like oh 1.08 or something is the salary, right? The league minimum. So it's, you know, six of 18. So it's a third of that. So the league thought that was not right and thought it was not nearly a big enough penalty and is pushing for, like we've said a million times, the independent or the indefinite suspension along with a hefty fine, right? 
So I, I think if Robinson's ruling had been just a little bit more harsh, that the NFL would have accepted it. I really do. Um, but it decided it could not live with six games, no additional fine, no call for treatment, which the NFL is also seeking in the appeal. They want they want him to undergo treatment for this behavior. And so far, he's been unwilling to do that as well. Um, and a key is that he has not expressed remorse. And that was a point of her ruling as well. So I, I get the frustration with from fans in the Browns as well that, hey, you know, this independent person ruled six games, but that was never going to be the automatic final answer with the NFL having the right to appeal. Well, my question is, you know, would the NFL consider changing the amount of games so that it, it the, the penalty is more harsh in, in these circumstances or will it stay this way? You mean like in the, in the, like in the personal conduct policy? Yeah. 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 I think, I think it'll be rewritten. And okay, yeah. in her, in her ruling, she kind of references the Ray Rice situation and how, the NFL kind of on the fly went from like two games to whatever. They suspended him. I don't know if it was a whole season or indefinitely. Um, kind of, and she talks about this ad hoc and, they, you know, the NFL does these things um, kind of while it's going on. And I, I, I do think, you know, the NFL likes to keep things fluid. And we saw the, we saw with Josh Gordon suspensions over and over, Chad, like you felt like you knew what the rule was and then it changed. Like, Roger Goodell could reinstate him whenever he wanted. Or he could spend it for – like, I, I think the NFL likes to have it really nebulous so it can kind of treat each situation differently. And that doesn't work with a judge who is used to precedent and used to looking at a rule book, let's say, um, a rule of law. So I think with now the independent arbitrator a part of this and a layer of this, the NFL probably needs to – get more specific about its penalties to match its perceived, its violations of the personal conduct policy. Because she couldn't do more. Yeah, you broke up for a second. Yeah, you're, you're saying. Little technical difficulties there, Scott. Sorry about that. But, hey, you know, basically, you know, Mike, my point is, or I guess what we need to, you know, discuss is that as a judge, she goes by rulings that are in place, you know, right, of what yeah. she can do. Like, she couldn't do more than six. Is that right? Or could have she? I mean, does she have to just basically implement what is there in, in the rules? Um, she could have done more than six, certainly, um, especially when the league was asking for more than that. She just determined, in her view that she felt the precedent was three games for something in this ballpark. And she said, okay, it's more egregious than that. So she doubled it. She just didn't feel comfortable going beyond that. Um, I, I think a little bit of it, Chad, because, you know, like I said, you read the, and you said it too, you read the ruling and it feels like she wanted to be way harsher. Um, I felt like she kind of split the baby a little bit with the ruling and I also feel like she left the door open, perhaps intentionally, for the league to appeal and then have success on its appeal um, 
because the league under the appeal, there's no new evidence submitted. There's no new hearings or anything. All it is is someone else looks at what what Sue Robinson found to be factual. They look at her findings and they can relook at the evidence that she she accepted. So if you do that and you look at it with two, you know, a, a fresh set of eyes, I don't think it's any leap to say, well, yeah, then he deserves more, right? Given how she wrote her appeal or how she wrote her decision how she came out and said, yes, he violated A, B, and C. So I, I think she was trying to be careful in her punishment, but at the same time, left the door wide open for the NFL to make it longer if it wanted to. So now, how how much longer do you think we're going to have to wait before we finally have resolution on this? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a ton longer. You know, of course, the rule, you know, the CBA just says expedited, um appeal right so that doesn't you know there's not a whole lot of clarity there either right um i would think next week i don't think the nfl wants to drag this out any longer than it has to um it's already dragged on forever we do know that there's i mean there's when we talk about the nfl calendar and sue robinson didn't seem to care about the calendar right it the ruling came well into training camp um but the preseason starts next week right? I don't think the NFL wants, if it can help it, to Sean Watson to be on the field in Jacksonville. Now, if he's suspended for a whole season, then I think he leaves the team, right? Um, I, I think that would be the decision of the NFL is, okay, it's an indefinite suspension. You can reapply at the end of the season and you're not going to be around the Browns, which means he wouldn't be eligible to play in the preseason. However, if the suspension is only raised to 8, 10, or 12 games, or there's a settlement, right? Because the league in that and Watson's side can still come to an agreement and take it out of the out of um, Peter C. Harvey's hands, right? They can still say it. Okay, this is what we come up with: ten games and a ten million dollar fine. Um, if that's the case, and if it's less than a full year suspension, then I think Watson will remain with the team through the preseason. He could play. He could possibly play Friday in Jacksonville. So there is some urgency for a decision to be made, and that's why I would expect at some point next week. You know what makes it so difficult, too, is, you know, it just puts the fans in a bind. But, you know, you know, last Saturday, right, uh, when the, the first day of camp opened for fans, I mean, yeah. you have all the pictures being taken and the autographs, and, and didn't he, like, give his shoes to a kid or something? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy because it, when I see stuff like that, I just think, boy, if, you know, he takes them to the playoffs in the Super Bowl, you know, no one – you just wonder how much of this will even be brought up again. It, it'll be like – I don't want to say it will be forgotten, but it, it's just such a weird thing to wrap your head around, isn't it? it? It really is. And things fade over time, right? You see it You see it in a whole lot of instances where people do stuff and then it fades. And, you know, I have to look beyond Ben Roethlisberger, right? Ray Lewis in Baltimore. I mean, I know these things are things – or examples that the fans – throw out as quickly as they can. And, and I understand it. It doesn't mean it's apples to apples. It doesn't mean right. It doesn't mean two wrongs make it right, you know? And I, I think there's a lot of false comparisons out there. Um, and, and I understand fans. I do. And they want their team to be good and they want their quarterback to play. That doesn't eliminate the real world element of this. And 
the women involved in this and the people triggered by this. Like those are all real things that I think not enough people, I would argue, not enough fans are giving enough weight to, right? The biggest concern is when's Deshaun Watson going to play? And I understand that. I just struggle with that aspect of it sometimes when this is such a serious topic. Um, But your point is legitimate. And at some point, you would think, this turns to football or a basic or it's almost all football discussion. Um, And that, you know, who knows when that will happen. It certainly doesn't feel like it will happen anytime soon. There will still be people that have a hard time rooting for the Browns or refuse to root for the Browns if he's their quarterback. And I fully understand that. We've talked about it, Chud, when there's a backlash when this initially happened. Um, I I don't think training camp is necessarily the right, the perfect barometer to see how the entire fan base is feeling because the people who go to training camp are diehards, right? I mean, you've been to training camp. It's boring a lot of the time, right? (laughs) But you want to be there. Like these people, these fans want to be there because they want to see this team up close. Um, I, I think your casual fan doesn't go to training camp. And I'm sure the fan that feels, however about, I'm trying to look for, feels betrayed or feels um, disgusted by the Browns' acquisition of Deshaun Watson, I just think don't anywhere. go to training camp, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, so True. so if, if he's signing autographs, that Great doesn't point. mean everybody yeah. loves him. And, you know, I, I, I but I will say this. I did not feel like, and I got some crap on Twitter for this, I wrote that the cheers were subdued. I thought they were. I thought the first time the fans saw him, it was, they cheered, yes. And I didn't hear any boos, and I didn't see any protests. But it wasn't a raucous cheer. Miles Garrett ran on the field a minute later, and the cheers were much louder. I've heard Baker Mayfield run on that field many times, and the place goes nuts. The place did not go nuts for Deshaun Watson. And the only reason that I can, the only explanation I have is because of all this stuff. Yeah, oh, that's a, that's good insight there. Uh, you know, someone said to me yesterday, really good point. And you know, it's just a shame all the money being spent in in the courts and and everything. And especially if this drags on and there's lawsuits, it's just a shame all that money you could just donate to a, you know a rape crisis center or women's advocate group. You <laughs> think about that, right? Yeah. Like, I, I didn't think about that until that person said that. Like, all the money that's just going to be wasted. Yeah, well, I th- I'm sure that's part of the NFL's plan for the fine, right, is to try to make this, make some gesture, and that would be where that money would go, or at least part of that money would go. I, that's, you know, I'm sure I, I've heard that somewhere, and I, it makes all the sense in the world is yeah. that that well, would be good- part of the the harsher penalty. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you ready to wrap up, Watson? Anything else on it? I mean, I think you've pretty much explained it, and, and we know where we're at. Yeah, I mean, uh, real quick, what do you have a prediction? What do you think it's – I mean, we have – let's say we have resolution within the week. Uh, and take potential lawsuit out of this, right? Because there is a potential for a federal lawsuit. And who knows if that injunction means he can play? Does it mean he can play week one? Does it not mean he can play until week seven because he has accepted the original six-game suspension? Um, and those federal lawsuits usually don't work against the NFL because – the judges just go to the CBA, which gives Roger get all the power. So take the federal lawsuit out of the equation. What do you think the appeal is going to be? Um, what changes six games to what? What do you think? 
Well, I think if it changes the eight games, that's pretty silly, right? I mean, I, I can't imagine going through all this for two more games. So I think it would, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, the NFL wants it to be a year. And I, it, it's, I feel like the NFL is a very, I've seen it, Scott, I've seen it close up. You have too. Like, you know, I've traveled with the Browns and it, I'm blown away by how powerful the NFL is. I don't even think people realize how powerful the NFL is. Am I wrong there? No, you're not wrong. Okay. So I just, it's hard for me to imagine they don't get what they want in this scenario, especially since it's, you know, we knew that, you know, whatever she came up with wasn't the final answer. So I don't don't know. I I, I just, you know, to me, it's looking like a year, but um, it's also tough to be in the prediction game on on this um, because I just, it, it could go many different ways, but it, it's hard for me to imagine it sticking at six games. That's sure. That, that's my prediction. I don't think it's yeah. sticking at six games. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, there's no uh, way it sticks at six games. Six games. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess I'll, I'll I'll put my hat in the you know it's going to be a, a year you know, but if it's somehow they decide well it's twelve games you know I you know that that wouldn't shock me. Yeah. So the only thing that would shock me is if it probably stayed at six. I guess I'd be a little bit shocked by that. You know. I said from the beginning, the only thing that would have shocked me in all this is if it would have come back with zero, right? Right. I always, I always felt like there was going to be something. Um, that would have been the only thing that truly would have shocked me if, you know, zero. So I, I guess I'll go a year. And um, I also, I know you said not to bring in lawsuits, but I just, <laughs> I have, but I have a hard time believing he would, he would win a lawsuit against the NFL. I just don't think it would happen. And, and also, I, again, I just think what she wrote is more damaging than the actual amount of games. And I, I, th- that keeps sticking out to me. But, again, what do I know? I think, that's, I think that's really well said, Judd. I, I agree with that pretty much wholeheartedly. If I were having to place a bet, I would bet on the indefinite suspension. Um, I, I will leave wiggle room for a compromise at 10 or 12 games. Whether that compromise is – negotiated by Watson's camp or just, um, you know, Peter C. Harvey just trying to find a middle ground. I can envision that. What I'm struggling to envision is Deshaun Watson relenting and trying to engage the NFL on a settlement of the 10 or 12 games with an 8 or $10 million fine. Um, because he's he's yet to prove willing to do that. And maybe this changes it for him. Maybe the fact that his contract, we expect to toll if he's suspended for the whole year, which means he would still be tied to the Browns for five years. And the $230 million, it doesn't start until 2023 at the earliest. And he would forfeit. He would get paid in 2022. Um, maybe that's the impetus he needs to approach the NFL. But like Sue Robinson said, he's not expressed remorse and – he hasn't shown any willingness to bend here, and maybe that changes. Um, but as of now, I would, I'm with you. I think I'd go I, – I certainly would go expect a full year. All right, before we go, let's talk a little football. I mean, geez, imagine that. Can we do that? Uh, anyway, yeah, right. <laughs> you've been out at camp, and I know you can't concentrate as much as you'd like to with all the Watson stuff, but uh, – We'll bring us up to speed on where we're at injury-wise. Uh, you know, anyone sticking out to you? Uh, how are we looking out there in Berea? Yeah, real quick. So we've had seven practices. We're taping this Friday morning um, to schedule the practice Friday afternoon. So I've seen seven practices. 
Um, I would say that where there's only been one in pads, it's been a slow start to camp, which part of that is by design with the ramp up period um, that you have in the new CBA, only three preseason games. There's a, a ramp up. But a lot of it, and we saw it last year, Chud, is Kevin Stefanski in the team, the organization, is doing everything it can to try to limit injuries. So you're not going to see heavy contact. And for the fans that have been out there for years, it's a, it's a startling change. Um, you know, for me, I've been out there, you know, going on 20-plus years seeing some of training camp, you know, 18 years seeing it just about every day at training camp. And it's different. You know, you're used to more action. and there's not, for example, they go in pads Tuesday and Wednesday. Part of practice was with no helmets, right? So it's it's all about learning the system, and it's more mental than physical. And I understand it. It's just like I said, a jar. It's a bit of a jarring change if you've watched a whole lot of training camp practices. Um, so uh, you know that's just something that stuck out to me. It was nice to see mid pads because you get to see different drills. You get to see the run drills. Um, but, you, you know, they're only going to do that so often. You know, probably two out of the next three days would be in pads, I would expect. And then they'll tailor it down until they go to Jacksonville and they'll ramp up again the week after when they host at the Eagles for those joint practices. Um, speaking of injuries, you know, receiver is where a lot of the focus has been, and rightly so. Amari Cooper luckily only missed one day after he turned an ankle. He was back practicing Wednesday, which was a good sign. Have yet to see David Bell practice. He's got the foot injury. Have yet to see Anthony Schwartz on the second day of training camp pulls up with a knee injury, and he's yet to practice since then. And those are guys that the Browns are counting on to be the three and four receivers. Uh, so instead, you have guys like Jakeem Grant Sr., the returner, uh, is playing a bunch of receiver. Uh, Michael Woods, the second, the six-round rookie, is getting a lot of time with the first team. Um, Demetri Felton who, you know, to me, entered camp on the bubble, is getting a lot of time with the first-team receivers. So some of those guys are taking advantage. I feel like Michael Woods has played pretty well. I think Jakeem Grant is making a case that he can have a bigger role than just a returner, that he can have an impact on offense and not just be a gadget guy. He's gotten open several times, including down the field, uh, deep down the field. He made a nice catch of a Watson bullet over the middle a couple practices ago. So that, that stands out to me. Um, real quick, just a couple of guys that jump out. A.J. Green, the corner, undrafted a few years ago. has solidified a spot on this roster and is pushing for more playing time. Now he's in a tough battle because they're deep there, right? And he's fighting with Greedy Williams and Martin Emerson Jr. to be like that third, fourth corner. But he makes a play just about every day. And then Jerome Ford, the rookie running back. Um, he looks like a football player. I mean, like these guys are all football players, right? But he's got the size. He's got the burst. Um, he's shown up. He dropped the pass the other day, but he has shown up. He's made catches. He's he's looked good running the ball. And we've talked about this before camp, Chud. They got a they got a plethora of running backs, right? They have a surplus of running backs. And I think Ford looking the way he has early makes me think even more that Dearness Johnson will be traded at some point before the season um, because he's entering the last year of his contract and the Browns should be able to get something in return, whether it's a player or a draft pick. You know, it's amazing. Uh, last time we talked, one of the keys that we talked about was Ward staying healthy. And sure enough, I think it was the next day, you know, in oh. injury already. I mean, 
yeah. I just I really worried about him. Well, this was this was from minicamp, so we knew it was coming. But it's a little concerning that he's yet to be on the field, right? I mean, yeah. minicamp is June sixteenth, so we're whatever six weeks away from that, seven weeks away from that. Yeah. Now, I think, and I have this discussion with guys all the time. I think you have to change your expectations with him. Yes, he just signed a gigantic contract. That's $100.5 million. If he plays 13 games a year, right, 13 of 17, and he plays at an incredibly high level, I think that's going to be good enough. Like, maybe that's just what you have to expect from him. He's going to miss a couple games a year. He's a tiny corner in a tough position, but because he's slight, lets him run and lets him – pivot and you know lets him do all the things he needs to do and it leaves him a little bit susceptible because he's not the biggest guy um and i still i think i I still think that makes the contract worth it if he can play that way for 13 or 14 games a year which he's done in his career you know he's it's missed you know two here three here four there never more than that um I, i think that still makes him valuable incredibly valuable to your team still good to go uh, what articles are you uh, working on right now? Yeah, I just wanted to talk about this one real quick. I had a good interview with Jordan Elliott, the defensive tackle, third year. He's entering his third year. It was a third-round pick in 2020 out of Missouri. He's yet to do a lot. Like, he's yet to really make any kind of an impact, despite playing. I think he's played 32 games in two years. Um, he's got like a half a sack. He's got – I don't know if he has a tackle for loss. I mean, I looked all this stuff up, right? But it's negligible. Hey, he's got – you know, four quarterbacks hits in his career. Um, and it's time for him to take the step, right? And especially because the Browns lost both their starting defensive tackles from a year ago. They didn't re-sign Malik Jackson or Malik McDowell. And they expect Jordanelli to be one of their starters. Like, it'd be a shock if he's not. So I went into this interview with that premise. Okay, a lot of pressure. You know, what are you, how are you feeling heading into, you know, now it's your time to step up. And he was good, and we get to talking, and he talks about how he's stayed in Berea all offseason. And he worked out five days a week with guys like Treader, Wyatt Treader, Wyatt Teller, Wyatt Teller, and Nick Harris. And I said, well, okay, well, what did you do in the past? He goes, well, I would go home. I go, well, like, how many days, how much would you work out? He said, I don't know, one or two days a week. And I was Jeez. floored, right? Because we see these guys all offseason, right? You watch Instagram, and these guys are in the gym. You know, Nick Chubb is squatting 650 pounds. And Elliot's like, yeah, well, you know, I was working out a day or two. And I was like, well, why? <laughs> like, so he gets into how he just didn't have the focus and the commitment that was necessary, and something clicked for him after last season. And he realized, first of all, he needs to take a jump heading into year three. Um Second of all, he looked at his stats and was like, I just haven't lived up to who I can be, and something needed to change. And for him, that was dedicating himself to working out throughout the offseason. And he bulked up bulked up to 325 pounds. The coaches say he still moves like he's 280. Um, you know, you can't tell a whole lot early in training camp. You know, like I said, they've only been pads one day, but the coaches were really impressed by him in the offseason. And, and I was impressed by his honesty in this, this interview he had. And I don't want to give it all away because I want people to read it at Brown Zone, and I'm hoping to post it today. Um, but I asked him, so I go, okay, if you're not working out in the offseason, um, I said, what are you doing? Are you playing video games? Are you partying? He goes, well, I wasn't partying, but he said he was just BSing, and he said the word, right? Like he was just messing around. <laughs> I 
And <laughs> I, I, I get it, right? You're 23 years old and you got all this time to yourself, but it just struck me as like a real truthful answer and a guy that's realized and is self-aware enough that that's not going to cut it anymore. And the Browns are expecting more from him. He's expecting more from himself. So, um, yeah, I, I encourage everybody to read it once I finally post it because um, I, I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, that should be a good article. Look forward to that for sure. And uh, I wish we had more time to talk football, uh, but we'll do that next week. And I'm sure we'll talk much more Watson next week. But uh, as we call my morning show, Scott, I got to go. I hear you, Judd. Yeah, we'll have plenty <laughs> to talk about, right? Because then we got to talk about the change of expectations, right? The, yeah. Things change if Deshaun Watson's going to miss all or most of the season. Do they add a quarterback, right? We got plenty to talk about. We'll ha- we will have plenty to talk about. So, Chad, I want you to thank you for uh, fitting me into your busy schedule, and we'll do this again. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and you can read everything at brownzone.com. Thanks.